Okay. Modern awards don't apply if you have a contract. No, no. In <laughs> fact, if, if anything, they're, they're like, equally as, as important. That is widely held, though, that view. Mm. Mm, that it extinguishes it. Yeah. Well, we need to remember that awards are a minimum standard. Sure, that's what the contract, but that's what the contract is for. It's to bolster rather than to replace. Back up. Because yeah. the awards don't cover everything, obviously. No. Um, but if you fall under an award and you have an employment contract, both of them will apply. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and if you don't want, if you don't like the award, think about an enterprise agreement. That's right. And look, there are circumstances where if you fall under an award and you're earning over a certain amount of money, you can have an agreement with your employer to be award free, but that that's an additional agreement past your employment contract. So yes, people, awards will always apply in almost every single circumstance. And this goes to the this this goes to my next one. The award doesn't apply if you're paying over award rate. Oh, so rather than like, sure, like, it might it, it puts aside the entitlements and things like that, but you're actually still getting paid for. That's right. Like, I, so so people see awards. I think in, in this myth is about people seeing awards as purely a money based um, exercise. Mm. They the the award says they're meant to be earning. I don't. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna make round figures here, people. They're, gonna, they're meant to be earning a thousand dollars a week based on the work they're doing, with all the um, with all the penalties and the, the meal allowances, et cetera, that apply. But in fact, they're getting paid one thousand five hundred a week. Therefore, the entire award doesn't apply. I love and, it. And, I, I like this myth because it, it's just so stupid. <laughs> I, I think it's the misunderstanding kind of comes from two things. One, that the award uh, is only about money. Like if you look at any award money is a small section of it like a large section actually majority of it is around conditions rather than than remuneration but i think it also comes to a confusion around that awards don't apply to anyone of of management yeah you know, if you manage someone you're out if you're a manager you're award free or um yeah i really i really like these myths about the awards there just seems to be so many that float around about what you what, who is and who isn't falls mm. under an award. But I do like these ones where if you pay over the odds, the award doesn't They're apply. Out. Yeah. And I really like this one because it's so not true in so many ways. Even if you are paying over the odds, just by the fact that you're paying a salary does not mean that this person isn't also entitled to some of the other things that are monetary compensation in the award, unless you have a contract that expressly states that you are the, this extra money is in lieu mm. of all these other benefits which which you would be entitled to under the award. This is so much more complex complicated than what people are giving it credit for. Oh, for sure. Um, <laughs> and I mean, awards are messy at the best of times. Um, but yeah, certainly be cautious. And so many of the the misunderstandings, and it can be really dangerous for an employer or really risky because of I mean, all the there's so much in those awards that if you are just ignoring it or just displace it to later come up as an issue, because they are they're massive, a lot of them. Yeah, and I always tell my um, clients and prospective clients, reading awards is like landing the space shuttle into the Hudson River. You really need to take your time, stop and mm. look at the whole document. Don't take one word, one sentence, one tiny subclause. 
you've got to look at it as a whole document and really think about what it's trying to achieve here. Um, you know, awards are complicated. Just by paying more money than what is necessarily owed under an award is not going to get you award free. It's just not going to get you over that line. But I do like that one a lot. I've got another one. You're Go not allowed it. to give bad references. You're not allowed to give bad references. You yeah. have to scream praises, even if they were uh, <laughs> a terrible employee. So, can't give a bad reference. Can't give a bad reference. I like it. I like it a lot. Every employee gets a get out of jail free card when they leave, even if they throw a tantrum on their way out. T tell you what, it really, uh, there's a reason why references are kept very brief. The questions you get asked are like extremely factual. You know, did they work for you? Did they work for this amount of time? Did they do this job? And it doesn't go much further than that. Um, because if everyone's getting the praises, then it just diminishes the whole whole exercise but yeah. i mean there are circumstances when you can't obviously if there's some sort of confidential nature to their to the ending of their employment yeah or you're not being honest you're just yeah, lying you know and there's a sort of a and I'm, I'm using the word in the loosest term possible you know some sort of defamatory element to it because all the person's done is leave their job mm. you know there's nothing else that's happened there yeah i <laughs> I get asked more often than not, would I rehire that person? That's a very interesting question. It is a very interesting question. Because, you know, if they've resigned, you know, they did it for their own reasons, but if they came back to you tomorrow, would you would you take them back? It's actually a really good question though, I think. Yeah, and uh, I have taken people back. Mm. Phoebe resigned a little while ago to explore some different options in relation to her degree, and she's back. Nero did the same thing twice. Mm. Um, you know, people people come back. Um, yeah, so I get asked that a lot. Would you rehire them? And I yeah, think it's yeah. a really interesting question because you can just go no. No, or and that that says an awful lot because what you're saying is now ha ha having gone through their entire employment and now getting to know them a bit more, I may not have hired them in the first place. Yeah, knowing what I know now or knowing what they've become, it's not interesting. I, I wouldn't take them back. Yeah, so uh, look, people out there, as long as you're not treating them in a discriminatory, I mean, I'm talking about illegalities here. There's mm. no reason why you cannot be honest in a review. Yeah. In a reference. Um, I wouldn't go to town, but I would certainly, you know, there's, there's no reason you, you can't be honest. And to be honest, everybody has flaws. Mm. So if you give a review that is only shining reference, you're starting to wonder what the truth is. Because what you want to hear is something that they can't do. What mm. is what is it that no one's perfect? So what's the imperfection here? Yeah, what's why are they not there, for example? But well, well just just more than that, like for instance, it might be that they were brilliant on the telephone. They're absolutely brilliant at getting stuff done, but their word skills weren't really very good. Mm. You know, it, it might just be something innocuous. Uh, it could be that you know they've never they've never worked on a computer system like a practice management system before. So there might be some downtime in their you know there's an information experience. Yeah. Yeah. So you know what you need is is an honest mm. answer. 
Yeah, and, and... and they always seemed to work on time, but only just, and it kind of bothered me. Mm. No. Um, so no, I don't see, I don't see any reason why you can't give a bad reference as long as you're not getting up to mischief in that reference. Yeah, you're not, you're not breaching a confidentiality agreement, or yeah, you're sort of defaming them, or it's just not true. It's just yeah, nasty. Now the last but least, extending probationary periods. Oh, no, sorry, the second to last, extending probationary periods. Well, let's talk about the, the bigger myth that's there, which is probationary periods. It's just full stop. Um, you know, we know that, sure, you can't bring an unfair dismissal application so, uh, for certain circumstances, six months, some 12. Um, but there is plenty of other reasons why people get fired. It's not this idea they can be fired for any reason, because if it's discriminatory, if it's for breaches of general protections, probationary period is completely useless. So what would be the benefit of extending a probationary period then? I think probationary periods full stop are just a just a way of putting an employee on notice that they're getting reviewed. Yes. Um, and that they need to pick their game up, but when I keep their game good, but my issue with having them and this is a more management thing than anything, is you're almost encouraging them to slack off after the probationary period. You know, that we expect this as your performance, but then now that you're actually more, you're actually more experienced, you're more productive, because everyone knows there is a certain, you know, delay in productivity when you get a new employee. But then after six months, we're kind of implying that the person can't slack off because they're out of their probationary period. If we're if we're really sticking firm to it, um, I don't like the optics of what you're giving off. Yeah, look, it's weird, isn't it? Because probationary periods in the contract normally state junior probationary period, your employer may terminate for any reason. Actually, that's not true. We know that's not true. You can't do, you can't terminate for a discriminatory reason, for a junior protections reason. There may be available, may not be available to them unfair dismissal, but there could be breach of contract. You know, it's not that doesn't exist as a as a it's a legal anomaly. We also know about probably six years, seven years ago, probationary periods were removed from all the awards. Mm. So you won't find them in awards anymore. And I would certainly, uh, I'm not going to say that I've read every single award because there's like 180 of them and not every award comes across my desk. Like the Helicopter Pilots Award is not one I've actually really looked at in any great detail. Or the Janine Award is another one I haven't looked at in any detail. But... Certainly, it's my experience that they've been taken out of awards. So they really are just a legal anomaly that people like to put in. They really, what they're really saying is, we're keeping an eye on you. You're right, but can you extend it then? Can you say to somebody, you're in your employment contract, but let's look at it from a contractual position. Mm. Is it lawful for an employer to say into your contract, you have a probationary period of six months, and then at at week five months and three weeks, you're told, oh, look, we're going to extend it a further three months. Does the contract uh, allow for an extension? Does it say, you exactly. know, and can be extended, you know, as reasonably required or something like that? That's the problem, isn't it? Like, if we're talking about now, it's actually just a contractual thing. We're letting them know that we're just keeping a close eye on them. If the probationary period is contractually six months, is it lawful? Is it okay to extend it? I think you. I think you. Provided there isn't that that 
ability, I think it would be a breach. I think there's going to be trouble. Yeah. I, I, I mean, don't think it would be a material breach, but. I think I think there's going to be problems because the employee is going to say, but hang on, I relied on this contract and I was relying on it and I was performing it. Mm. So now you don't want to perform that particular clause. You want to change it. Yeah, which, what's going on here? Who, which, are we but just, it, are the obligations flowing both ways? So yeah, I, I don't, I think there's going to be some problems. I think it's probably, if you're the sort of organisation that does extend probationary periods, then you need to have a clause in the contract that provides for it. Yeah. I think that's probably the sensible way forward. But the danger with extending it is if you have forgotten about um, the actual legislative part of of what a probationary period is and what i mean by that is that it's actually just to stop unfair dismissals after let's just say it's six months for this particular example is if you extend it and then you seek to rely on it thinking that it still remains as in you can terminate for any reason and you're now into let's say month eight you're going to have issues that you're going to fall into especially if you yeah. are firing them for a reason that isn't really valid um, this is exactly right this is fascinating isn't it now I'm going to move away from these myths because uh, I think we've we've. Uh, there's plenty more, but we'll uh, we'll keep that more. for another day. I was watching this BBC series called War of the Worlds. Yes. It's a three-part series, so it's not the one that we all know about. Oh, maybe the SBS one, I think, where it's this three-season malarkey. This is yeah. three episodes, all an hour long, and I watched them. I think I've watched it on ABC. Um, Ivy, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Um, and it was set back when War of the Worlds was actually written by Orson Welles. Mm. That was set back in time. And yeah. It's, it's in the 30s or the 40s or something. No, it? it's it's set in Victorian age. Oh, right. So yeah. At the turn of the century. Mm. Sorry, not the century, the last century. So Which is strangely still called turn of the century, but. Yeah, yeah. 122 years ago. And it was. It was set in such a way, and I just—I really like this. I'm gonna—I'm gonna make a point in a moment. Um, it was set up to what happened next, because if we—if we know War of the Worlds and you've listened to the Orson Welles, then we know it didn't take long for those pesky Martians to all die out because of the bacteria that mm. everywhere. And this was. This was leaning on the fact that when the Martians were sucking the blood out of people, which is what Orson Welles was you know, alluding to when they were saying they were eating us, um, that they were catching typhoid. Right. Very old. Oh, I'm sure it's still around somewhere, but yeah. Yeah, it's 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 one that you can vaccinate against now, obviously. Which I, <laughs> and I really like this concept where it's set after typhoid killed all the aliens off. But the Earth was still covered in this weird alien red um, growth. And if you remember in Orson Welles, they covered the Earth and made the sky red because of it with this red stuff to make it look like Mars. Because back then we thought Mars was red. And we know it basically is, but, you know, let's set aside our, our you know. We know it's more of an orange, like a, not yeah, too so, dissimilar to the, our desert. Yeah, so... We've got all these, we've got a few amount of people left um, who may or may not have typhoid and the islands are all dead. And this is just this sort of like zombie apocalypse type situation where this red stuff is causing the 
people for the for the water source to be poisoned so people are no longer being able to have children mm. and the food source is also disappearing because you can't grow uh, in earth that's had this uh, red stuff growing in it and uh, the story is actually a bit more macabre than that you could grow over um, uh, gravestones of those people who have had typhoid so once so the concept was they would their bodies would disintegrate into the earth and typhoid would be inside the earth and the stuff mm. would on it and I just I just think this is kind of um, sort of this post populate that kind of Martians come to earth sort of situation I'm just thinking about how if they had eradicated typhoid uh, in this story mm. the aliens would have survived and they would have you know killed everyone yeah, I really like this kind of post kind of um, story, and I, I like the concept where vaccinations back then, um, you know, now they were looking at uh, you know how to vaccinate or how to culture this typhoid and stuff mm. like that. I just kind of like this concept where we look at it from the aftermath. It's a little bit like um, is it Robert something Roberts who wrote a book about what happened, what would happen if the Nazis had won the war? Mm, mm. You know, yeah, this. There's actually a TV series, I can't remember about it, um, where it takes this assumption that they win, the Axis powers win, and it's set, oh, I can't remember the name, but it's set in America post-war, where uh, it's basically split down the middle, Texas almost being the the boundary, and Germany's on, I believe, the East Coast, and Japan, is, German. And Japan is on the West Coast, Right. And there's like growing tension between the two about about um, those two fighting, and then there's kind of a American kind of underground uh, type of movement to try and overthrow both of them. It's quite fascinating. Oh, I like it. Um, I like it. Yeah, I like these kind but, of stories of what happens next because we all know. I mean, Orson Welles is is they all thought it was true at the time, freaked mm. everyone out, which I think is really hilarious, but it did. Um, you you watch plenty of kind of apocalypse movies, one of your absolute faves. Having having done all that and watched everything you've seen and read whatever, if you were to point to one thing that would the most likely to be, you know, an apocalyptic event, what would it be? I like these illnesses. The the, the I think you know obviously zombies are going to have you know there's a logistical problem there of yeah, zombies don't exist. Mm. Um, <laughs> aliens coming to Earth, uh, a meteoroid hitting the Earth and creating a, um, an Earth um, an extinction level event. Mm. There are a few that I watch that um, are about the rapture, which are interesting. So the if you are a, if you being... the, the belief in the higher power, where mm. God comes back, takes all the goodies, and leaves all the baddies. Mm. Um, I'm simple. I'm simplifying it because, you know, the rapture is not. We're not going to be talking about Genesis or whatever. Genesis book five or whatever it is. I'm not getting into a philosophical debate about religion, but yes, that there's an awful lot I watch about the rapture. I actually also like these ones where we're the we are our own destruction. These, As in we all just bomb each other to hell. No, we create such a poisonous um, earth. That is actually not sustainable anymore. 
this kind of mm. green green kind of concept that ecologically we we do something that tips the balance against us and it just keeps going so at the moment you know there, there's a lot of people out there who will say that we're on a precipice and you know mm. it could go either way and we don't want to tip the balance so we we all fall off and that's the end of us and but and a lot of these are apocalypse movies are about tipping the balance and it just happens really fast like you've got a bull bearing and whatever you know off it goes. which is strange because yeah, it doesn't within really make a lot of logical sense ice age and all that sort of thing yeah i i actually really like those ones and i don't know how true they are but that one is also one i think it's probably if i'm going to be a doomsday prepper i might prep for something like that i mean is it isn't it naive of us as humans though to think that we're going to be the maker of our own doom like that we are so powerful that we can destroy ourselves and what i mean is earth's had what i think it's five mass um extinction events and none of them we would have had any ability to stop it, it, no, we, they would have completely out of our hands uh, the concept that the dinosaurs were killed by a meteorite uh, that you know caused them or when the yeah. subterranean crust or whatever blew and uh, all the volcanoes went off and uh and the you know there's a massive ash clouds kill everything i mean we know had no ability to stop that we don't and have it, any ability to stop that yeah, yeah. I, I guess it's you're not right. of us. it's kind of almost egotistical of us to think that that we are so powerful that we can destroy the earth still with COVID, we've done a very good job of wiping out quite a number of people on this planet just by just by moving around my my hot take on on apocalypses are that i agree that it'll probably be a like a a disease or a you know a, you know we destroy the earth or something but i don't think it will be extinct kind of i think we have the ability to plateau our population right um, so you're saying that although Although we will wipe out most likely an awful lot of us, humans will survive yeah. at some level. Because I think fundamentally our thing that makes us different to most animals is our ability to survive as a human race. And I to like it. Necessary in order to survive. But I think we could definitely plateau it. I mean, I like that it. might be horrific, but. There's, which, which is it? The one with Dennis Quaid in it, where they, um, where that kid that plays spider-man is stuck in the new york library with a bunch of other people 20, that, no, day after tomorrow yeah the day after tomorrow is when the day after tomorrow, the yeah. well, library and it's like snowing and then it's flooding or something yeah hopefully our viewers will, will know the one that i'm talking about dennis quaid says something really interesting to his uh to his team that are walking mm. from washington i think to mm to new york when he's asked whether they'll survive this he says well we survived the last ice age we certainly have the ability to survive this one and i think that's what you're saying right we're, we're actually mm. quite got a quite a like quite a lot of ingenuity we, we we might be able just to get through it because we're not so dumb that we will just go oh well let's just stand out in the rain and get killed sort of thing yeah yeah, yeah I, I like it I like it. So yes, anyway, so I'm going to plug that show. I'm going to plug it as a really fun thing to do what happens next. Um, and I like it because it's this kind of this concept where typhoid, which is now eradicated, was the thing that saved them all. 
I love it. Now, obviously, I think typhoid should be um, should be eradicated. I am a big fan of vaccinations, but uh, I just like this concept where it was the thing that didn't um, that that survived. I've got one last thing as a segue from All being right, sick. One last one. thing, people. Employees sick with COVID. Long um, do they take sick leave? Is it an? I think really quickly if if they're sick, like if they've got COVID, uh, it's, it's sick leave. If they are just isolating because they're a close contact and they're not caring for everyone who happens to also be in the same household, which is pretty likely because that's probably how they got it and why they're a close contact, then it'd be un well annual leave if they've got any or unpaid, um, or unpaid leave. Um, but I think chances are they're probably going to say that they're caring for the people of their household. So yeah, I think you're right. I don't think it's a responsibility of the employer um, to to pay that's not an accrued leave. Um, the interesting question is, can you can you use your long service leave? Um, I think the I short mean, answer is no. You can't. No. There's no, there's no way certainly here in Queensland to cash out long service leave without going to the Queensland Industrial Relations Commission and asking them for permission to do that. I mean, because yeah, you can't, there isn't that ability. Um, maybe, I mean, can, maybe. Can, I mean, can, I'm going to South change legislation specifically to allow people to use their long service leave um, if they got sick with COVID. But this yeah. goes back to the, 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 this kind of fundamental question is why are you taking the leave? And what is long service leave designed to do? And there's lots of things about doing it at the last minute and all this sort of stuff. So before, I guess what I'm going to do is leave with a a word of warning for all those people out there who've accumulated long service leave and all those employers out there who know that they've got accumulated long service leave for their employees. Really stop to think about it before you start letting long service leave get used. Yeah. I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying it's not as simple think as using your annual leave. And that's a hot take, and I think that wraps it up for this week. It does we'll wrap it see up. Everyone. I, I had actually a really fun time talking about these myths today. Um, yeah. Welcome back, everyone. Happy New Year. And we're fast coming up to Chinese New Year, which we are going to be celebrating next week on Tuesday. Super looking forward to that. And uh, Chris, you're at home at the moment. Yeah, and we'll be for a while. Um, I do have plans this year of going to Thailand, so we might be doing a podcast from... Uh, from an island in Thailand, which would be very interesting. Be happy to see that. Well, people, thank you for watching and listening. You were listening to the Lawcast from uh, MJT Law. Um, it was Christy Santana and Melanie Thorley. And see you next time. See you in two weeks. See ya. See ya.